Welcome to Slaughterhouse Stories. I hope you enjoy the stories I have for you tonight. Hello to all you things that go bump in the night. Hello to all you fleshback humans as well. Welcome to the show that brings you creepy pastas, short scary stories, and horror-themed poetry from all across the dark side of this world. This is the Slaughterhouse Stories Podcast, Episode 7, The Candy Myth. I'm your host and narrator, Ghost Train, telling you to lock your doors Get under your blankets and keep the lights on. Now let's get spooky. Tonight's first story lets you experience a horrific encounter that to one person is so terrifying and yet so familiar. Running through the woods, running for their life. Is everything as it seems or is there a bit more to this tale than you think? Let's find out together. As you listen to, you wake up in the woods. You wake up in the woods. You sit up and look around. On your left you see trees that are staring down on you in the moonlight. On your right you see a two-story house. The house seems abandoned and it is overgrown by plants. A few of the windows are shattered and the wood it is made out of seems to be decomposing. Something rotten fills the air, not knowing where you are, why you were here. You go up to the door of the house. The door is shut but not locked. You wonder if anyone is home. So you yell, hello, loudly. All you hear is wind brushing past your hair. You hear wolves howl in the distance. Scared, you quickly open the door because you are frightened of what might happen outside. After all, being inside a seemingly harmless home is better than fending off wolves. Once you enter the house, you shut the door. You can hear creaks upstairs and sounds of someone breathing. Yet again, you shout, Hello? Anyone home? The sounds of breathing ceases, but the footsteps upstairs don't stop. You are now morbidly afraid of what's going on inside the house. But for some reason, you are paralyzed. You feel an urge to move into the hall downstairs. As you do, you see pictures on the walls. All of them depicting angels with red eyes and burnt skin, looking down on you. You could have sworn one was moving its head to look at you. You enter a kitchen. The kitchen is small, and all there is is a microwave and a toaster. Nothing is in the metallic toaster. You look inside the microwave. You try to scream, but nothing leaves your mouth. You see a stomach covered in blood inside the microwave. It, for some odd reason, seems to be beating up and down like a heart. You back up into the counter and stumble across a newspaper. You quickly pick up the newspaper and run into another room. This room is lit by a small candle. You feel safer because there's a telephone nearby. You decide it's time to call the police. You dial 911 and someone answers. You try to tell them what is happening, but instead you find you can't seem to talk anymore. You throw the phone onto the floor. You take a quick glance at the newspaper. 
The front line says three men missing and a woman. They were last seen camping. It shows pictures of each of the people. You're sure this is where they were killed. You walk into another room, picking up the candle on the lay and a knife from the kitchen. It's a bathroom. The toilet seems as if it was never flushed, with contents swimming in it. You hold back the urge to vomit, because you notice in the mirror the man in the newspaper. Now you know why you're here. Someone wants you dead. You run out of the bathroom, and out of the living room, and out of the kitchen without looking back. When you reach the door, it's locked. You mutter a curse word under your breath. However, you see a door ajar nearby. It appears as if it leads outside. You open the door and you see a hall that leads outside into the woods. You run. As you run, however, you can't help but stop. In the corner of your eye, you see a bony figure, its head blank and its eyes black. It's like a spider, except just bones with eight legs. It has sharp claws and a large, gaping mouth. For a few seconds, you notice it has blood all over it and an arm in one of its hands. The bony spider figure runs at you. You stab it with your knife. A streaming crimson color of blood gushes out of it, and it falls down. But it's recovering. You take a glance at it once more, and notice even more detail. Its bones burn, but you see a small pupil in the blackness of its eye. It's red. You also notice that its bones are being held up by other organs that were cut up and fit there. You run. As you run, you look back, but the creature isn't there anymore. You still run, though. You run for what seems like days, but it's minutes. Until you stop, you see a town with bright lights feeding into the sky. You smile. It's a great sight to see. You get up from the ground, but as you do, you see the bony face with its eight legs pop out of a tree. It falls down, comes up to you, and hits you hard in the head. You see your blood squirting everywhere and you fall down. The last thing you see is it dragging you. You wake up in the woods. The loops just go on and on. When will it stop? When will they finally have peace? Let me ask my bony friend. Hey. Oh, no? Not yet. Okay, well, don't play with your food for too long. Bye. So, they're still playing. So let's move along to the second story of the night. A story with a constant fifth wheel. And a boy that's just down on his luck. All of a sudden is gifted something that turns it all around for him. At a cost. Nothing lasts forever. Not a change of luck. And not the sleepless nights that followed. Do your very best to sleep. After I tell you the tale, someone watches me while I sleep. I am terrified of waking up at night. Not because I can't go back to sleep, but because I know if I do, he'll be there, watching me. I first saw him a year ago, after going to a musky antique shop in town with my friends. The wrinkled old woman shopkeeper noticed that I was a fifth wheel. And then my two friends seemed to be picking on me. She pulled me to the side and asked if there were any improvements I was looking to make in my life. Slightly weirded out, I told her of course, and that I hadn't realized I was being so obvious. She went behind the counter and grabbed me this vial of liquid 
and then told me to put some on my hands. I was definitely suspicious, but she put some on hers first, so I figured why not. It had an odd scent to it, like a strong lavender. Ready to leave, I walked outside, and was going to tell my friends about what the lady had done. Turns out they'd forgotten about me altogether, and left to the next location. No big surprise there. Then around a corner came Carrie, a girl from school I'd had a crush on for months. And to my surprise, she actually approached me to say hi. I mean, I wasn't ugly or anything. Just average, I guess. But this kind of thing was definitely not normal. Sadly, I was too nervous to get her number or anything, but it still gave me a nice little boost. Then later, once I got home, my mom, who had been sick for months with a suspicious illness that the doctors hadn't made him a diagnose, said she was feeling way better. This is amazing, but I still chalked it up to coincidence. That was until I was laying in bed later and saw that I had a Facebook notification. It was from Carrie. She had Facebook stalked me, found my profile, and added me. This was getting downright suspicious. After that, her and I started texting, and things were going surprisingly well. I'd also found out that I got one of the highest grades in my class on one of the math tests, which, I mean, I was terrible at math. So I actually seriously started considering whether this oil was actually doing all of this. I got home later that night, and after taking a shower and going to bed, I sent out a goodnight text to Carrie. I waited a half hour or so and got no response. Considering we had been exchanging texts like every couple of minutes for the last day, this was weird. Then I sniffed my hand and noticed that the scent was almost completely gone. Frustrated, I laid down and tried to sleep, but then began to hear sounds of my mother coughing through the walls. Let's just say I didn't sleep much that night. The next day, I noticed that Carrie still hadn't responded. That was it. I couldn't explain why this was happening, but I definitely had to figure out how to get more of that oil. So I showed up at the shop later that day and looked for the owner. She was in the back organizing shelves and I approached her. I asked her if I could possibly purchase some of that oil she had given me the other day. It works well, doesn't it? She said with a grin. She then went on to tell me that it had been given to her by her deceased husband, who was an archaeologist, and she was unsure of what it was or even where it had come from. So she told me that she'd give me a little bit more, only to be used sparingly. Otherwise, they'll take notice. She said with sort of a nervous grin, not really understanding what she was talking about and really not caring. I agreed. She put a single drop on my hand, and I rubbed it in thoroughly. Upon smelling it, I immediately felt a sense of calm come over me. It seemed my mind had already associated good things with the smell. I told her about what had happened with my mom and how the oil was literally changing my life. She said she wanted to show me something and walked to the back of the store. But she left the vial sitting on the table and the temptation to take it flared up inside me. It was just too easy. I started to hear her walking back from the storage area and impulsively grabbed the vial off the counter and ran out of the store with it. Totally expecting her to come out after me, I turned back to see the store. However, she never came out. I didn't even have to really run. I immediately poured a generous amount on my hands and rubbed it in. Not surprisingly, Carrie started returning my texts, and we actually began dating soon after. By the end of the week, it was like I was a completely transformed person. I had the girl of my dreams, and other kids were finally starting to see me differently. However, the night I first tried to kiss Carrie was when things began to take a turn for the worst. I had walked her home, and while at her front door I tried to kiss her, and she shied away nervously, leaving me for the night. Down in the field, I noticed I couldn't smell any scent from the oil. So I went home and immediately rubbed a bunch onto my hands. Then Carrie immediately texted me, saying she was sorry, and that whenever I was ready to kiss again, 
She was. This stuff was almost too good. After that, I just laid back in bed with a smile and dozed off for the night. I had a weird nightmare that night, though, where the wrinkled old shopkeeper was giggling and playing in the street like a little girl. Then she looked at me and started laughing hysterically, laughing until she cried even. Then her tears became blood, and I woke up. My eyes still blurry. I blinked a few times and noticed something beside my hand. It was dark, but it looked like a man or something on its hands and knees sniffing my hand. I screamed and turned on the lights, but there was no one there. Truly horrified, I turned the TV on and put on some cartoons. I figured I must not have been fully awake yet, and somehow imagined it. Later that day, I went to school, and everything was pretty much normal. I was still pretty shaken up, though. Carrie started texting me again, and I was excited to see her later that day. Once the school bell rang, I bolted out to my bike to ride straight to her house. Then when I got to her front door, she immediately came out, smiled, and kissed me. She then invited me in, so I went to park my bike, but when I rolled it around the house and put it up against her garage, I got the distinct feeling that someone was watching me. In the corner of my eye, I saw a man across the street, a man with a car accident face, just staring at me. But then by the time I turned my head towards him, he was gone. I went inside and tried to forget what I'd seen, but I obviously couldn't. So the next day I went back to the shop, and that was when things really started getting weird. The shop was closed, permanently. I got a cell phone number off Google and called the number for it. And much to my surprise, the shopkeeper actually answered. I began to apologize furiously, and I told her that I would give her the oil back. The next thing I heard over the phone said chills down my spine. She started laughing. You've begun to see him, haven't you? Too scared to respond. I just stood there on the phone. They've taken an interest in you. What do you mean? I asked fearfully. It seems they can improve your life. Because they want a better story. But you must entertain them. At least that's what my husband thought. Shivering and almost in tears. I asked if I could make it stop. She told me flat out. That I need to try to give the oil to someone else. Before it ran out. Then she rudely hung the phone up, and I was left staring at the empty shop. I got back home later on, pulled the bottle out, and to my horror, it was empty. Clearly stressed beyond belief, I woke up again that night. My room was dark, but in the corner I saw a figure, his arms at his sides, his head slightly tilted, with a bizarre, empty grin on his bag-like face, his eyes two little black holes. I closed my eyelids tight and pretended he wasn't there, waiting for something to happen. To my surprise, it never did. At least, not yet. I haven't really slept a full night since then. Only now when I wake up, and I know it's still nighttime, I don't open my eyes. And I know I never will again. That poor boy. All he wanted was for things to get better. Now I'll... I mean, something will never let him sleep right again. Greed can certainly turn to regret quickly. Why don't you grab some coffee to help you stay awake and keep away what is watching you? As we move once more into open mic night at Basil Pub. Welcome, fiends, to open mic night at Basil Pub where we invite you to sit right here and go into the more poetic side of fear. Poems of murder, creatures, and ghosts. 
all the things that scare you the most. The first poem is brought to us by Spirit Voices, telling us how the monsters aren't always in the closet or under the bed. Sometimes they're already in your head. And following that is a poem by Robert E. Howard, using rhyme and reason to teach a very good lesson that you shouldn't celebrate someone's death so openly, least they drag you down just as quickly. Enjoy the verse and rhymes of the monsters and dead man's hate. They're everywhere. They're nesting, festering, making themselves at home. They're eating me alive from the inside, but those horrible pounding voices are just my own. The shadows on the walls watch me, and they never leave me alone. They take what's mine, I try to breathe, and then they drag me down while my brain contains my pleas. Petrified to close my eyes, because I'm not a normal, broken soul. I smile, but I don't. My body aches, my tears swell, my anger breaks, and my heart is still stone cold. I'm just a host to a parasite I can't tame, and to them it's just a joke. Whoever loses the game is broken and maimed leaving only a ghost, and I lost a long time ago. They're everywhere, they're nesting, festering, and I am now their home. But I really, really don't want to be around when those damn monsters take control. They hanged John Farrell in the dawn amid the marketplace. At dusk came Adam Brand to him and spat upon his face. Ho, neighbors all, spake Adam Brand. See ye John Farrell's fate. Tis proven here a hempen noose is stronger than man's hate. For heard ye not John Farrell's vow to be avenged upon me. Come life or death, see how he hangs high on a gallows tree. Yet never a word the people spoke in fear and wild surprise. For the grisly corpse raised up its head and stared with sightless eyes. And with strange motions, slow and stiff, pointed at Adam Brand and clambered down the gibbet tree, the noose within its hand. With gaping mouth stood Adam Brand like a statue carved of stone till the dead man laid a clammy hand hard on his shoulder bone. Then Adam shrieked like a soul in hell. The red blood left his face and he reeled away in a drunken run through the screaming marketplace. And close behind, the dead man came with a face like a mummy's mask, and the dead joints cracked, and the stiff legs creaked with their unwanted task. Men fled before the flying twain, or shrank with bated breath, and they saw in the face of Adam Bran the seal set there by death. He reeled on buckling legs it found, yet on and on he fled. So through the shuddering marketplace, the dying fled the dead. At the riverside fell Adam Bran with a scream that rent the skies. Across him fell John Farrell's corpse, nor ever the twain did rise. There was no wound on Adam Bran, but his brow was cold and damp, for the fear of death had blown out his life as a witch blows out a lamp. His lips were writhed in a hard grin, like a fiend's on Satan's coals, and the men that looked at his face that day, his stare still haunts their souls. Such was the fate of Adam Brand, a strange, unearthly fate, 
for stronger than death or hempen noose are the fires of a dead man's hate. Well, Adam, that's what can happen when you mess with the dead. We can reach out. Before we get to tonight's main feature, I want to ask you a favor. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, share it with your friends, dead or alive, and leave a review with whichever app you're using to listen. I really would appreciate it. And if you do, I promise to stop giving you nightmares every night. Maybe. Now that Adam is dead, the pub is closed, and I've asked you my favor. Let's move to tonight's final story, and the monthly feature, Slaughterhouse Stories Originals. We've all heard the stories about poisoned Halloween candy. We've all heard the lies about where those stories come from. While I won't lie to you, dearly departed, I mean, dear listeners, I am here to tell you the truth, to tell you the origin behind the legend, and to tell you to make sure to check none, uh, all of the candy that you get for Halloween. From my own haunted mind, and featuring a guest narrator, the YouTuber and my son, LD Black, for your listening displeasure, enjoy the candy myth. Everyone knows the old Halloween myth. Strangers poisoning candy, putting razor blades in candy, etc. As a child, it can be terrifying. Your parents have to search through every piece of candy and then end up throwing away some of the ones you want the most. Except for the peanut butter cups, thankfully. I think it makes Halloween scarier, which makes it more fun for all of us. Dressing up in a different costume every year and wondering if your parents are going to miss something. Every year is so much fun for me, wondering if I'll see the kid next to me on the following Halloween, or will his name show up in the paper tomorrow, proving that the myth is real. That's why the first thing I do every year after I'm done trick-or-treating is turn on the news and just wait. It kills about six or seven kids a year in a different area of the city each year. Most times they just go to the hospital. But those other times, they don't make it into the emergency room. And for the last 20 years, they still haven't caught on to what I do. You heard me right. You see, I'm what they call a midget. A little person. Vertically challenged. And there is nothing I love more than getting dressed up every year and going out trick-or-treating. I get my best costume on and bring two bags with me. One I use to collect treats and one I use to slip my tricks in. It starts two weeks before Halloween, when I buy four pounds of peanut butter cups. Then I use half the bag, take my time either injecting them with a special blend of poison that mixes well with the chocolate, or carefully opening the wrapping and gently sliding in a razor blade, a sewing needle, or the stem of a thumbtack, then using a small bit of glue and a hairdryer to seal everything back up perfectly. It's time consuming, but oh so worth it. I only use half the bag, so I don't even know which ones are good and which ones are mine. They have no idea who I am. I look just like any other kid dressed up. Usually people drop the candy into your bag, 
which keeps my numbers low, but there are enough that hold the bowl out for each kid to take a piece of candy. And that's when I reach into my bag of tricks and drop in my candy before taking a piece of theirs. A little bit of sleight of hand goes a long way. So I'm one of the reasons Halloween can be so terrifying. You're welcome. I've been to so many neighborhoods and so many cities. I've used up the last one and Halloween is almost here. I wonder if this year I'll be coming to your city. I know everyone loves to find the peanut butter cups first, but maybe next time you reach into that sack of candy, you'll just be a little more cautious. After all, you never know who's been trick-or-treating in your neighborhood. Now, I believe that is enough scares for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for more stories that are sure to keep you afraid during the day and awake at night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy the stories that I had for you tonight. And until next time. <laughs> Stay spooky.